Well, we're continuing today our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you happen to be a, a guest with us uh, this morning, it's our pattern as a church, for the most part, to work through books of the Bible. And we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, and we will be looking at verses 26 to 40. I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, to open to the passage. If not, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 960. Or if you have an electronic device, you can join us through the use of the electronic device. The series that we're in, we've entitled Course Corrections. Because the church in Corinth had lots of problems in it. First of all, there are no perfect churches because there's no perfect people. And if you ever find the perfect church, please don't join it because you'll mess it up. I know I've talked to you. I know you. You'll, you'll mess it up. I would mess it up. And so many of the letters that we have in the New Testament, they are Paul writing to churches to correct the problems and issues that they had. Well, as we've talked about in the church in Corinth, pretty much every problem there could be was present in this church. But still, it was the Lord's church. Paul has been dealing with them in chapter 14 over an issue that relates to spiritual gifts, and that's the use of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And we learned last week that tongues are a gift for those who are lost. It's a sign to them, and in particularly to lost Jewish people. Whereas prophecy was a gift that was for the church, for the building up and edifying of the church. So Paul is continuing in the passage we're in talking about that. And he's going to urge the church in Corinth that everything be done decently and in order. You know, this morning, if whether this is your first time here or whether you've been coming for many, many weeks, I hope that you have noticed that we attempt to do things decently and with order in our service. Take this morning. For example, we've prayed together, which we're told in the New Testament. We are to do that. We had testimonies this morning of lives that have been changed. We had the testimonies both in word and baptism is actually a testimony. It's a picture of the gospel that a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation that they're buried with him. That's why we take them underneath the water, but we don't leave them under the water. We bring them back up because they are risen with new life. So we've had testimony not only that we've heard, but we've seen with our eyes. We have been singing together, and that's a part of our worship to God, and now we'll be reading the Word of God, and I will be teaching and expounding the Word of God this morning. All of these are elements that should be taking place in church services, but it's to be done 
decently and in order. Now, we're in that section that as Paul is talking to them in Corinth, he's answering questions that they have sent to him. And one of the things that is obvious, their services were not being done decently and in order. So Paul has to address them and talk about it. So having just compared the gifts of prophecy and the gift of tongues, we pick up in verse 26 of chapter 14, and Paul is going to emphasize to them the church service should build people up. Not tear them down, but it should build them up. Follow, beginning with verse 26. What then, brothers? He questions, he says, in light of everything that I've told you about prophecy and tongues, how do we apply that to what's going on in your church? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, what Paul is saying there can be taken one of two ways. It can be taken in the positive. In the positive, Paul is saying, when you come together as a church, you are all coming together wanting to participate in the worship service. That is a good thing, a very good thing. The worship service is not supposed to be a spectator sport. You know, I hope when you come on Sunday mornings, you don't sit with a scorecard in front of you and say, okay, how was that prayer this morning? Eh, I'll give that about a C. He could do a little better. Uh, how, how was the guy singing this morning? Did he hit all the notes? Did he miss some notes while he was singing? Uh, how about the, the songs we, we sang this morning? Did I like them? Did I not like them? Uh, and just view your role as being the person who's grading everything that's going on up on the platform. That's not how we're supposed to come and worship. We are supposed to come and participate. When we're singing, we are to be singing together as a church. When someone is praying, we call it leading us in prayer. We should be praying along with the person that is praying. And if there's something we hear that we agree with, it's okay to say amen. The Apostle Paul talked about that last week. Amen means let it be, let it be so. Now be careful what you say amen to. Uh, and I'll caution you, there's gonna come a point here in this message, you may wanna be careful about saying amen to something that Paul says here. Uh, you'll know that point when we get to it. Let, let me just... But Paul is saying from a positive viewpoint, when you guys come together, you come together, you have a song you want to sing, you have a lesson that God has taught you that you want to share with, with others. Uh, maybe God had given them a revelation. Remember, they didn't have the Word of God yet. The New Testament has not been written. First Corinthians is one of the first books written in the New Testament. He said... One of you has a tongue, and we saw last week tongues was a legitimate gift in the early church, and one of you has an interpretation. So from a positive standpoint, that's all good. This, however, 
can also be a negative. You say, well, Butch, how can that be a negative? Well, let me ask you a question. What if everybody who's gathered here in this service right now picks one of these and says, God has given that to me, and you all insist on doing that in this service this morning? Do you know how long we would be here? You know, understand what kind of chaos there could be? You, one person stands up and says, hey, God's given me a lesson to share with you. And from the other side, someone else stands up and says, well, God gave me a different lesson, and I think my lesson's better than your lesson. And then we have, you know, five or six people pop up and all start speaking in tongues. And then we have people say, I've got a prophecy that the Lord has given me. And do you see how that could become complete chaos in a service? Well, that seems to be, at least part of that, was what was going on in Corinth. And Paul is not viewing that as a positive. It's positive that everybody wants to participate. It's a negative, though, if everybody is insisting that what they have brought is more important than what everybody else has brought and that they need to be heard. Paul says, let all things be done for building up. Remember, we, we saw at the beginning of the passage, we are to, beginning of chapter 14, pursue love. Chapter 13 was all about love. And so even as we come to the practice of the gifts that God has given us in serving one another, the overriding factor should be we are pursuing love. Because if we love God and we love one another, we want to build one another So let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, let there be only two or at most three. In their services, where tongues was still a valid gift, it was a language that a person did not know that God gave them the ability to speak. Paul said it is to be practiced, but no more than two of you should share in any service. Maybe three, but it is to be capped and that. And then he says, and each in turn, one at a time. Uh, I've been at a service where there were a bunch of people speaking in tongues, and they were all speaking at the same time. And just as Paul said previously in this chapter, I thought they were all crazy. Which Paul has said, that's what a stranger will think if he comes into the service and that type of thing is going on. So the practice of the gift of tongues in the early church, two, at the most three, could speak one at a time and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So we saw last week, whenever the gift of tongues was legitimately practiced in the church services, there had to be someone to interpret the message. If there's no one to interpret it, then they were to be silent. Because the gift of tongues is of no benefit to everyone that's gathered together if none of us understands what's being said. He then, so... 
keep in mind here because it's going to be important to the context we're going to talk about. If there is no one to interpret, what is the person speaking in tongues supposed to do? Be silent. Right? Don't miss that. Be silent. Right? Let two or three prophets speak. And let the others weigh what is said. So we come to the gift of prophecy. Now the gift of prophecy is the giving forth of God's word. So the same thing with prophecy. How many are to speak in a service? Two. A maximum of three. I mean, we have, you know, just on our church staff, nine guys who could come, maybe ten guys, who could come up here and preach this morning. But I don't think you want to hear from all ten of us this morning, each of us bringing a, a 20 to 40 minute message, do you? You didn't plan on that when you came together for the service. And so Paul is saying, let two or three prophesy, and then the others weigh in on what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So in other words, in the church, remember, they don't have the written word of God yet. They don't have the New Testament. Someone pops up and he is giving a prophecy from the Lord. And then someone else pops up and says, hey, the Lord has just given me a revelation. The person that was speaking needs to be quiet, to be silent, and let the other person speak. Do you catch that? Uh, that would be like the, this morning, right now, Stephen Poindexter popping up and saying, hey, Butch, God just gave me a revelation this morning. According to Paul, I need to sit down and Stephen needs to come up and share the revelation that God has given to him. That's how it worked in the early church before they had the word of God. Paul says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. What he's saying is there is a place for the giving forth of God's word. But it doesn't all have to happen in the same service at the same time. All of you can give forth the word of God. All of you who have the gift of prophecy. And he says, for all of you can prophesy one by one so that you all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Don't miss that. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Uh, I've had people say to me before when they interrupted a service, Butch, I just couldn't help myself. The spirit of God came upon me and I had to speak. That's not what Paul says. Paul says the spirit of the prophets, you are in control. God is not a God of disorder. You can't say, God just made me do that. No, God may be prompting you to do something, but you are in control. The spirit of the prophet is subject to 
the prophet. Why? For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. It's God's desire that in the church service, we are built up. And my prayer would be this morning that as you leave here, it will be, this service will be something that have, has built you up and not torn you down. And I would say to each of us as church members, as I've talked about this before, as you come to church, come prepared to minister to someone. Before you leave this morning, encourage someone. Give someone a word of encouragement. Do you know how it would transform our services if every member of Maranatha Bible Church at every service before they left the building would at least give a word of encouragement to one other person? And that's something we can all do so that we build one another up. All right, the next thing I want us to see in the passage is women should be silent. Husbands, that's the point that I was saying. It might not be good to say amen right there. <laughs> Women should be silent. Now, some of you have been waiting for someone to deal with this passage. Uh, I know that because some of you have asked of the pastoral staff, you know, are you guys going to skip over that? And if you've been here very long, you know at Maranatha, we don't skip over portions of Scripture. And so Bruce said, uh, don't worry about it, Butch will be covering it when he gets there. So, so we're going to talk about this this morning. Women should be silent. All right, let's pick it up at verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. Right, notice here that what Paul is saying is not just for the church in Corinth. This is for all churches of all times everywhere. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. Now let me pause here for a second, because the question may be, where does the law say this? That's a fair question, right? Especially when there is no specific passage in the Old Testament that says that. There is no specific passage in the law, and in this case they would be thinking of the law as the the Torah, which would be the first five books of the Bible. There's nowhere in those first five books, nor I've searched from Genesis through Malachi, the whole Testament, and I don't find a single passage that says that the law says women must be silent. So what's Paul talking about? What he's talking about is the role that we see in the book of Genesis with the creation of man and woman and the relationship that God put together that woman was created to be a helpmate to the man and that in marriage there is to be submission of the wife to the husband. He's talking about a principle that is taught in the Old Testament. 
If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful. He takes it even further, right? It is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay. I'm going to ask the question. What does Paul mean by this? And it probably will not surprise you that there are a variety of opinions out there by commentators and pastors and different church leaders as to what Paul means here. I'm going to try to give you the explanation as I understand it. And I'm also going to try to point out some of the other opinions and tell you why I disagree with them. Now, please understand me. Whenever we come to a difficult passage of Scripture, I try to say if there are legitimate differences of opinion among good Bible teaching, uh, God-fearing individuals that are possible interpretations, I try to present those to you. And I also try to say this is why I disagree with this interpretation or that interpretation. But I am not saying that Butch Pursley is 100% right. Do you hear that this morning? And also, yeah, the women readily agree there at that point. And they don't even know what I'm going to say yet. And so I, uh, we, we, are, we are commanded by scriptures that we're to search the scriptures to see if what we are being taught is so or not. And so I encourage you to do that, and especially with this passage. Okay, there are those who interpret this to mean that women should not speak at all in the church. Not at all. Uh, that from the time you enter the building until you leave the building, you are not to speak. I guess you can nod. I guess you can turn your head this way and that way. And that. But you are not to say anything. And some will say, well, we'll just confine that to the service. They're not to say anything at all in the service. Now, I really don't know how you're supposed to participate in the service if you can't say anything. I really don't understand how you're supposed to sing if you're not allowed to say anything. So I reject this interpretation as not being the right interpretation. All right, the second view is that you should not prophesy. Prophesying is the giving forth of God's word. Please hear me. Prophecy and preaching are not the same. Prophecy and teaching are not the same. The gift of prophecy in the early church was someone speaking forth God's word. Remember, the New Testament is not complete yet. Matter of fact, this is one of the first books of the New Testament. But some would say, because within the context of what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that he's talking about, he's talking about prophecy and tongues and the immediate context, they would say, is prophecy. So therefore, women are not to speak forth the word of God. A way of bringing that over to today, now that we have the word of God, some would hold women are not to read the word of God in a setting where the church is together to worship. Well, I reject that view as well. 
And let me tell you why. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, remember the message that Bruce did on head coverings? In verse 5, it says this. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Paul didn't say they couldn't pray. Paul didn't say they couldn't prophesy. He said that if their heads were not covered, they shouldn't do that. So it is very evident to me that even in the church in Corinth, the women were prophesying, and Paul is not telling them they shouldn't have been doing that. Also, if I go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, where Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. Notice what he says. And in the last days, and on the basis of the book of 1 John and other passages in the New Testament, we are living in the last days. It's been the last days since Jesus ascended into heaven, and it will be the last days until he returns for his church. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons, and catch the rest of it, and your daughters shall prophesy. And young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Uh, it seems to me that the scriptures are allowing for women to prophesy. Well, what's the third view that women should be silent? The third view would be that they were not to speak in tongues. In the service, Paul's context, Paul is talking about tongues and prophecy, and so some believe that what he is saying, they should not speak in tongues. Uh, some would take, they shouldn't prophesy or speak in tongues, and that is what Paul is addressing here. But if I look at the immediate context, right around where we are told the women are to be silent, he's talking more about prophecy than he is tongues. So I don't know how that would be the right interpretation of the passage. Then you might say to me, well, Butch, then what in the world does this mean when it says the women should be silent in the church? I believe it means what's laid out for us in verse 29, that they are not to speak in the decision-making regarding a prophecy. Remember Paul said, you may prophesy, but only two or three in the service, and then others are to discern what is said. See, from 1 John 4, 1, we realize before we have the word of God, we have to determine whether what a person gets up and says they're prophesying, what they mean. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In the New Testament, 
in the early days of the church, one of the gifts that was there was the discernment of spirits. So when someone would pop up and say, I have a message from God, God gave others the gift of discernment to whether they, they can weigh this. And maybe several of them weigh it together and say, yes, that's from God, or no, that's not from God. So that would have to be happening in the services. Now, in the church in Corinth, it is thought that when they met, that they seated themselves the same way the Jews would seat themselves in a synagogue. And that way would be this. The men would sit on one side and the women would sit on the other side. Have you ever been in a church that has seated people that way? Yeah. I've been in one overseas to when you came in. All the men were on one side of the auditorium. All the women were on the other side of the auditorium. And so I believe as do others, that what was being talked about here, and I'll expound on this a little bit more, is that in the service, when someone got up and gave a prophecy, and the individuals in the church who had the gift of discerning spirits, they were discussing whether or not that was true or not, that they had a situation where the women sitting on this side of the auditorium would yell out to their husband who's sitting on that side of the auditorium and say, hey, you better consider this and consider that. I believe that's what was happening in Corinth. And so what you had going on there, and not only there, in other services. See, those who were, remember the church at Corinth has Jews in it, and it has Gentiles in it. Now, those who had grown up in the Jewish synagogue would have known that was inappropriate, and that was also interrupting the service. However, those Gentiles who'd never been in worship services before, or who had only been in services that worshiped false gods, this would be common for them to do this. And particularly, we know that wherever Christianity goes, it frees women. And feeling their freedom in Christ, they were very bold in speaking up. And can you see how this would cause complete confusion that was going on in the service? Now, I think there's another part of this because I think the Apostle Paul is going to be consistent with what he teaches elsewhere. And over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 11 to 14, Paul writes to Timothy and says, let a woman, it's going to be very consistent with what we see here in this passage. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, I know that we have those ladies who hate this and who, who we have those that are rebelling against what Paul has taught here. 
And there's a lot of people that go at great lengths try, trying to discredit what Paul is saying or saying this is not something we should follow. But I think Paul's pretty clear when he says, I don't permit a woman to teach nor to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, ladies, before you get all upset about being quiet, remember in the context already, if someone got up to speak in tongues and there wasn't an interpreter, what were they to be? Be quiet. If there were more than two or three prophets speaking in the service, what were the others to be? Be quiet. If someone had a revelation that God gave to them in the service, the person who was speaking had to give way to the other person, and what was he to do? Be quiet. Women are not just being singled out in this passage and said, be quiet. We're talking about order in the service. And we are talking about here the principle, whether you like it or you don't like it, God has determined that within the church, women are not to teach men or be an authority over them. And Paul gives a reason. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, creation order. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Remember, when Adam ate of the fruit, he was not deceived. He willingly disobeyed God. Eve was deceived. And for those reasons, women are not to teach and be over authority of men in the service. Now let's take this back to Corinth. Do you see how that fits right in with examining what was prophesied. Prophesying was the giving forth of God's word. So when the person prophesied, those with discernment were supposed to discuss it and then put their approval up on it. And think in a setting where women are over here, men are over here, there's to be order in the service. And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is saying when he says for women to be quiet in the service. Now, ladies, let me say to you, we greatly value you here at Maranatha Bible Church. And we believe God has gifted you. And in many times, uh, I see women more gifted even than their husbands, that God has given them gifts to use for his glory. And we don't want to stifle your giftedness and your ability to serve, but we want you to serve within the covering that God gives for you. So women, you can teach other women. Uh, we have loads of women in ladies' Bible studies here at Maranatha Bible Church. Women, you can teach children. The only thing that you are limited from doing is teaching men, and in teaching those men, exercising authority over them. That's what God's word tells us. And so that's what we seek to honor here at Maranatha Bible Church. 
You know, our goal has always been, if the Bible says something, we're going to be true to the Bible. And we're going to follow it. So, women should be signed. There's one other thing here in the passage. The command of the Lord. We see that in verses 36 to 40. Remember, the overriding principle is pursue love. Uh, Paul says, or was it from you that the word of God came? Paul is saying to those who want to insist on their rights and violate his instructions. Are you the one who's given us the word? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Are you the only people that the word of God has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, should he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul says, if you don't recognize that what I'm saying is coming from the Lord, then we're not going to recognize you because the Lord has given this to me. So my brothers, earnestly desire to give forth God's word, to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. There were some who didn't like that gift in the early church and just wanted to forbid it entirely. But all things, And here we come back to what we're talking about. All things should be done decently and in order. Orderliness within God's house in times of worship. And what does that orderliness proclaim? It proclaims the unity of the church. And throughout this whole chapter, we said last week, let's not lose sight of two things. One, the church is to be built up and edified. And two, we are to reach out to the lost with the message of salvation. And anything that distracts from that. That's why Satan likes a church that's fighting. Because when we're fighting with one another we lose sight of what we should really be about. Through almost 30 years, Maranatha has stayed focused on being unified together and reaching out to the lost. May that be our heritage today, and may that be our commitment for the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's clarity, Lord. Father, I pray that you will help us to be faithful in serving you and carrying out your word. Help us that as a body together, we might focus on Jesus and that we might honor and serve him. For in his name we pray, amen.